Welcome to TKG's Healthcare Insights, where we explore healthcare's critical issues, challenges, and trends with a focus on achieving the quadruple aim of enhancing patient experience, improving population health, reducing costs, and improving the work life of healthcare providers and staff. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome. We're glad to have you listening today. I'm Warren Smedley with the Kinetics Group, and today we will be continuing our discussion with TKG's summer interns as we continue to hear their insights from the research they have done on the issue of advancing health equity. They've done a nice job of highlighting the many challenges facing our healthcare delivery system for improving health equity. They've certainly inspired us to strive to make a positive contribution to achieving the quadruple aim of enhancing patient experience, improving population health, reducing costs, and improving the work life of healthcare providers and staff. This is part three of our discussion with the summer interns. Let's pick up where we left off. Uh, Ashani, I think you've done some work on how individual patients and clinicians at the individual point of care can actually leverage digital tools, data, machine learning, all this information at more of the micro level. What have you been working on? Thanks, Warren. Yeah, no, I'm happy to discuss this. You know, Ethan did an excellent job of really laying the land of how health system focused tech is really playing a role today. But, you know, I'll be here to continue that conversation, but more with a focus on some of the current tech, as well as these non-tech driven initiatives that are aimed really at the individual, right? So in essence, we want to talk about these easy to use tools that are being used to make life easier, especially for, you know, marginalized populations who may have many unmet needs, either due to, like we mentioned before, the social determinants of health, you know, socioeconomic, political, or geographic barriers. So, you know, I think these types of tech-driven trends are really driving the future of healthcare, but, you know, it would be valuable at some point for us to also revisit some of those risks that were mentioned by Ethan. You know, there there are definitely some risks that are involved with society's heavy use of tech in the healthcare space, so I definitely want to bring that up again. And we'll, you know, talk about some of the mitigants to this to these risks, and we can take a look at some of the initiatives more on the non-tech side uh, used across various sectors, like you know the public sector as, as well as consumer retail. Good points. When we talk about the ability of people to access not just healthcare, but also all these other things, well-resourced patients, people who have good jobs and income and live in cities and that kind of thing, it may be much easier to afford and use these innovative models and tools But when we think about health equity and some of the low-resource, disadvantaged rural individuals, uh, it may be more difficult to access these kinds of tools. What are you seeing in that area? So great point, Warren. You're exactly right. You know, one of the major problems that is happening, especially for disadvantaged groups, is that there aren't so many alternatives for long-term care or monitoring by a healthcare professional. So, you know, especially for those who have limited access to transportation or limited disposable income for frequent trips to a care facility, or maybe they don't even have the access to specialty care, you know, one of the ways that health systems are looking to mitigate these issues is through remote patient monitoring, which we mentioned before, or RPM. So, you know, of course, RPM's use was heightened during the peak of the COVID pandemic, but we see a lot of people nowadays using it. And it's actually interesting, Warren, I found a little fun fact that though, you know, RPM was really talked about during COVID, the the first kind of remote patient monitoring actually started in the late 1960s. So this was when physicians were actually transmitting EKGs over telephone wires, which I don't know about you, but that's kind of crazy to think about now. Yeah. And uh, I was just listening to a thing on, uh, 
I guess it must have been a YouTube thing. Somebody was playing old sounds and seeing if their kids would recognize those sounds. And one of them was the old AOL dial-up connection, and nobody knew what it was. So it was kind of it was kind of funny there. Yeah, I think that's even out of my era at twenty years. Yeah, old. that's right. Um, but you know, anyways, not only does remote patient monitoring uh, reduce care expenditure for the patient, but I think it, it really helps with the populations, especially burdened by chronic diseases like type two diabetes, asthma, and cardiovascular disease. It helps really to reduce their risk for rehospitalization, which is huge for health systems. Absolutely, and you know, I've been around for a long time. I'm late career, and I remember we used to do a lot of telephone visits with faxed reports and provide remote consults. At that time, those things were not reimbursed, but you did it because it was uh, either urgent or critical, or you needed it for the patient because the patient couldn't travel. In the deep South here in Alabama, where I live, we have lots of rural people who don't have access to the right kind of care. And we did a lot of that just because it was the right thing to do. Uh, As we consider some of these chronic diseases that you've just mentioned, and many of those do disproportionately affect some of the marginalized populations. It's good to at least hear that the systems are trying to kind of get ahead of that and figure out ways that we can get remote monitoring to, pe- to, to patients. I know that uh, here in Alabama, we've actually worked with the Department of Health to open up in all of the counties new opportunities to do remote visits at the de- at the Department of Public Health in each of the different counties, so it reduces some of the burden of travel and things like that. Yes, Warren, you're definitely right. So in addition to this, one thing we see is a definite r- correlative rise in wearable technology. And Ethan made several points towards this, so I'll definitely talk about a couple examples. So my first example is actually a company known as Eleven Health. So they're a UK-based company that actually just created the first sensor-enabled and digitally connected ostomy wearable. So this device is being used to reduce both the incidence and the severity of common complications often seen with patients who have an ostomy system. So for those who are not familiar, that's sort of this external bag that's able to collect waste. Um, In fact, in the U.S., we see one in 500 people living with an ostomy. So clearly there's a market, an addressable market um, for companies like this to come in and, and help bridge the gap in health equity issues revolving care, especially for those with ostomy bags. So, you know, this company noticed that there wasn't a lot of innovation in the ostomy sphere. It had really fizzled out in the past 60 years. They wanted to create this device that was really going to allow for seamless transitions of data to a doctor. So we'll talk a little bit later about app integration into the EHR system. Um, But basically, in in a trial that the the company was behind, the the company showed that this product really resulted in an 80% reduction in 30-day readmissions, as well as a 66% reduction in 30-day ER visits for ostomy patients. So an incredible addition for those patients who need increased support. And and big props to this company for really being, one, a patient-owned company, but also being extremely patient-centric. You know, I I watched a couple of videos on their site. They're they're extremely patient-centric as opposed to profit-centric. You know, I think uh, many of us are young enough to not have really any context for how much patient care in the United States has changed over the last 50 years. It used to be that if you couldn't eat, you couldn't drink, you couldn't breathe, and you couldn't eliminate waste, you died. There was just no way around that. And today, we can use ostomy bags to collect waste externally. We can use catheters to relieve people's empty people's bladders. We can feed people in you know, through tubes. We can respirate people. It's amazing what we've been able to do in just the last 50 years 
to really change the long-term prognosis for patients with diseases that only 50, 60, 70 years ago would have been completely terminal. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a great point. And I'm, I'm happy to see that there's a lot of innovation in this space for people dealing with chronic complications. And, you know, another similar example is actually from a California-based health sensor company. They're known as Blumio. So they actually just created a wearable device that can measure blood pressure both non-invasively and continuously. And this isn't, you know, some rare type of technology, but it is able to measure movements of the atrial wall and measure vital signs and transport this to EHRs. So the first application that they're really looking to kind of head their tech in is in the maternal health space. So this is an incredible area to do it because I don't know if you're familiar or our audience may be familiar with preeclampsia. It's a, it's a complication that one in 25 expecting mothers may develop. So it's a pregnancy complication that can lead to, you know, fatal outcomes for both the patient, both the mother and the fetus. So I'm glad to see that there's, you know, solutions and, and things being, or preventative things being in place to help uh, women. Now that's great. And a lot of these devices that we're sending patients home with can now collect data and save it until a point in the, you know, in the near future when that particular patient is near a collection point, whether it's whether it's Wi-Fi or something else. I know I've got a Garmin watch that it'll save data for a week or two, and then you can upload it at different times. So you don't have to be directly connected to the internet all the time in order to make these things work, um, which is good. So we're making great progress there with the actual devices too. Now, speaking of preeclampsia, I, I know you've done some work this summer with TKG's Women's Health Research Collaborative. And I imagine you found some research that dives into women's health and bridging gaps in health disparities there. Uh, maybe you could tell our listeners a little more about what's happening with the WHRC. Warren, I'm so glad you brought that up. You know, the work that I've been doing alongside TKG's Women's Health Research Collaborative this summer has really shed a light into another interesting and emerging trend in healthcare today. And we've mentioned this before, but it's app integration into electronic health records. So, in regards to women's health, one of the things we've seen here is a lot of dialogue of menstrual tracking apps like Flow and Clue being integrated into the EHR system. So, you know, one major problem we see in health systems across the nation is both long wait times and short doctor visits. So I know that's something that's happened to me. Um, you know, I can personally relate to that. But in, in fact, according to a 2018 study, most physicians are only really spending between 13 and 24 minutes with a patient. So that means it's really valuable to have more of the puzzle pieces in front of the doctor at the time of a visit. So for women who may have often complex or challenging gynecological problems that maybe warrant more personalized care, efficiency can be greatly increased if providers are given insights from apps like Flow. Um, for, for our listeners that aren't familiar, Flow is able to track a woman's period, um, is able to kind of give insights about her reproductive health. So we can have information from that app, you know, months worth, years worth of information transferred to the EHR system. Perhaps doctors are able to gather more important information about a woman's sexual or reproductive health. Excellent. I know another piece of that, you talk about having data available when the patient gets in front of the clinician. Another piece of that is shared decision-making. And there are a lot of apps that now include goals of care as a part of the data that's being collected so that when a patient sits in front of their provider that or the clinical team that they are able to have already have the important insights from their last 
couple of weeks or whatever in front of the clinical team. So the clinical team knows what the questions are, what the shared decision-making goals are for that particular visit. Those things are all really helpful to make these short visits really efficient. Yes. And it's not just happening in the women's health space. You know, more broadly, you know, Apple just announced that they're going to be launching sort of a new wave of their Apple Health app. So that's, you know, the little app. If you have an iPhone, it's the white app with the heart on it. Oftentimes it tracks your steps, your mileage, things like that. But they just announced that they're going to be soon having automated health alerts based on past Apple Health data. And one thing that's really important here to note is that users will have the option to directly share that data to their provider's EHR system. So very similar to what you just mentioned, Warren, it's definitely a massive movement to help those who may have limited access to those frequent uh, clinic visits. So it looks like all of what you've been sharing, this team's been sharing great insights for health system executives to keep an eye out for in the future. App integration and EHRs is very much in its infancy. So it seems like there are really big things to come. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, like I mentioned before, there's one thing I must bring up, right? There are definitely some risks to this rise in tech and healthcare. So some of the advancements might just create larger gaps in care for disadvantaged groups. So like Ethan mentioned, I just want to hit on them again. So three major issues were actually highlighted by the Health Equity and Access uh, Leadership Coalition back in 2021. So just to revisit them, the first one is access to broadband and technology. So basically access to Wi-Fi and maybe mobile devices. The second one is digital literacy and access. So really, when we look at populations, perhaps older populations or perhaps more challenged populations, being able to use uh, devices and technology can can oftentimes be um, a a barrier in in terms of care access. And the third really important thing is data and privacy, right? Like you mentioned, uh, even health system executives used to be sort of hesitant or, you know, cautious of allowing big companies like Google or, or Meta to access patient data. Um, So that's definitely something to keep in mind as people might be transferring their really personal health um, and and clinical data into an app that could be shared. That's excellent. Although it's very, very complicated. It gets very complex to manage the whole thing. You did mention there were some key trends around health equity happening in other sectors other than healthcare. So maybe you could share a little bit more about that while you're on that topic. Yeah, happy to. So many of the non-technology related initiatives happening in the U.S. are really enforced by local and state governments, as well as large corporations. So this next example I'll share is actually just happening in my home state of Massachusetts. The Boston Office of Policy and Planning announced that they're going to be piloting a program called Boston Saves. So this is a children's savings account program that's aimed to really help Boston public school kids save and, you know, plan for college or career training right from the get-go. So right from preschool or kindergarten, parents are able to, one, get uh, funding from the city of Boston um, and sort of create this education program and, and, you know, account for their kids um, to be equipped well to go into the world. So this um, empowerment and education program aimed at Boston families is really aimed at those who are most vulnerable, both socially and economically. And, you know, a lot of programs like this are being brought into the conversation now. A lot of housing and neighborhood development offices are often leveraging a lot of partnerships to understand you know, some of the challenges, the, the exclusive challenges to inclusionary development. That is great to hear. It's great to hear that we're thinking broadly about how to solve some of these problems and not just dumping it on one area like healthcare to try and fix the whole thing. 
Yeah. And in addition to that, we see a lot of initiatives taking place in the consumer retail area. So we see big box retailers like Walmart and Walgreens really using uh, a lot of their floor space. So these are often facilities that may have, you know, over 50,000 square feet. So they're really looking to engage with rural communities and taking advantage of these large floor plans. And oftentimes they're heavy foot traffic due to, you know, people shopping for groceries, things like that. They're really looking to create spaces for on-demand care. So this is, you know, in-person services in, in healthcare that are often limited by a person's location, their schedule, or, you know, just their ability to access care. So, you know, this the far-reaching geographic presence, as well as the extended office hours of big box retailers like Walmart and Walgreens really allow for consumer-centric, as well as vastly accessible access to healthcare. Maybe interesting to see if these kinds of big box retailers could provide broadband access to some of these healthcare devices so that when you come in to do your shopping, you can give permission to upload that data to your clinical team. That may be one way to help overcome some of the broadband issues we have. Wow. These are really, these are really great thoughts. Yeah, no, definitely. Warren, you bring up a great point. I, you know, when I'm doing my shopping at Target, sometimes I like to connect to the Wi-Fi and they are free. And sometimes I do think it's it's great for people who may not have access, even in the parking lots. Um, if there can be spaces that are created to allow for, you know, just the general consumer to have access to solid Wi-Fi, that, that would just be a great addition, I think. Absolutely. Well, team, I am very impressed with the work that you have done this summer. You've done a great job and this fairly lengthy interview has highlighted really a lot of great findings that you've come up with. I'm looking forward to sharing this with our audience. I know they'll find this very interesting as much as I have and really appreciate the work that you've done for TKG and highlighting the work that TKG is doing as well. So many thanks to the great work of the four of you, Ashani, Amanda, Maddie, and Ethan. Your work sheds really some important light on the current and future role of health equity in the rapidly evolving healthcare industry. Well done, team. Thanks, Warren. Thank you, Warren. Yeah. Thank you, Warren. Thank you so much. Well, that wraps up another week of TKG's Healthcare Insights. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested in the research completed by our summer interns in this episode, please email me and we would be glad to share the details of their research with you. We welcome your other suggestions, ideas, and requests for podcast topics of interest as well. Please email us at oncology at thekineticsgroup.com and write Insights Podcast in the subject line. Thank you. Have a safe and healthy day. You have been listening to TKG's Healthcare Insights, a program produced by the TKG Oncology team of the Kinetics Group. TKG Oncology empowers life science companies to effectively engage with health system and payer customers by developing strategies and real-world solutions aimed at impacting the right patient at the right time with the right care. We also work directly with health systems and payers to address the critical issues of our time. We would love to hear from you reach out to us at tkgoncology.com. Thank you for joining us today.